here tonight, Lord willing, time willing. We're going to do the first plague of water becoming blood and the second plague of frogs. I had uh, somebody somebody contact me here this week. Uh, they were texting me and they knew what was coming up tonight at church. And they shot me a text today and they said, are you excited about the plagues? And if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know I am excited about the plagues. Anytime we get to celebrate the idea of tens of thousands of people suffering, you know, that's always a lot of fun. But it is fascinating when you get into these plagues and study them out and what they mean and what they represent. You have to make sure when you look at these plagues, you're not looking at angry God living upstairs wanting to make the Egyptians suffer. That is not his point. The key verse, and we're going to go back to this verse numerous times over the next few weeks, is found in Exodus 7, verse 5. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. This is God declaring who he is, showing his power. That is the purpose of the plagues. That is the purpose. And this carries on for hundreds of years later. As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, when the Israelites go into the promised land and they're getting ready to take Jericho, they go speak to Rahab the prostitute. And Rahab says, we have heard of your God. They know what he did. Jump ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 4. Now hundreds of years later. And so what's happening is the Philistines had captured the ark and they said, we don't want this thing. This is the ark of the God of Israel when we know what he did to Egypt. So... The power of the plagues are there to declare that He is God. And if you remember from our lesson from two, three weeks ago, we have it in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 2. I am the Lord. Verse 6, I am the Lord. Verse 8, I am the Lord. Constantly repeated all the way down to verse 29. I am the Lord. God is showing who He is and all He says and does. So keep that in the back of your mind as we get ready to go into these plagues. The purpose of this is God to reveal who He is and His power and that He takes care of His children. Now, as we also go through the plagues, each of these plagues takes on an Egyptian god. The Egyptians had numerous deities, gods with a little g, and all these plagues are attacking a certain idea of who their god is. So as we get to the Nile turning into blood, it's attacking their gods of the Niles. As we get to the frogs, it's attacking their frog gods. And this is what they're doing here. Now, as I was getting ready to prepare this, I got online and I started studying out all the different gods and the frog gods and all sort of type of stuff. And I thought about, you know what, I was going to do this little idea, put a little picture up of each god. And I thought, what difference does it make? They're all ugly. You know, the frog god is like a male body with a frog head. And the Nile god was half man, half woman. It's like, what really, what does it make? All of you right now are going, I'm going to go home and Google all these different frog gods. So what we're going to do here tonight, as we get ready to get into this, is really understand what God is trying to do and what he's trying to prove. And when I say trying to prove, please don't look at it as prove in the sense of like there was any doubt. It's more revealing. It's more revealing to Egypt of who he is. So we left off last week with the rod becoming the serpents. Please do note that they were able to reproduce that. And as they were able to reproduce that, we spent a time, a lot of time, I should say, last week dealing with this, talking about the power that the enemy has. So if you weren't with us, I encourage you to get a copy of that. We talked about how Satan does do lying wonders and lying signs, the Bible says. He masquerades as an angel of light. But Paul also said we're not supposed to be ignorant of his devices. Do remember that. Also remember our verse of 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you, which is the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world. So even though the enemy may have this power, and that's a really 
not the right term to use. He may be able to do these lying signs and wonders. It is nothing compared to God himself. As always, Satan is a created being. Satan is a created being. Keep that in the back of your mind there as well. So let's get to our first plague. Now, as we get into the plagues here, do remember that they have been warned. Back in Exodus chapter 5, Moses went and spoke to Pharaoh and basically said, let my people go. He said, no. Exodus chapter 7, he came and he did the whole staff into a snake and their snake ate the Egyptian snakes. God has given two warnings here. Now, nothing bad's happened yet. Egypt has chosen to reject those warnings. And so now we're taking it a step serious. And you're going to find each one of these plagues get a little bit more serious. This is actually grace. See, a lot of times when we read through and study the book of Revelation, we look at angry God. No, it's actually grace. God is building up, getting steps and steps worse and worse and worse. I've told you before that we have this four-square court down in our basement. And the boys have been going down and playing four-square all the time. We've been running into them just getting uh, more angry at each other and more feisty about each other. And, you know, just not playing real well to the point of, I think it was last week, Kinnon came up and it looked like he was going to lose a tooth. I don't know how in Foursquare there's a collision, but there was a collision between Elias and Kenan, and now Kenan has this loose, bloody tooth. So I went downstairs, and I was playing Foursquare with him yesterday, and every single time there was this argument over, was the ball in, was the ball out? And it was just getting out of hand. So I finally just took the Foursquare ball away, and we took it away. And we also then started taking away other things to get the point. And it wasn't that I was trying to be mean dad. We had given warnings. We had given teachings. I didn't make a rod become a snake, but I was going to. But I did these things to get their attention. They chose to reject. It had to get more serious. Egypt has chosen to reject. So since they've chosen to reject, we start with this one. Verse 14, the Lord said to Moses in chapter 7, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and he shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which you turn to a serpent you shall take in your hand. Why was he going out to the water? It could have been a cleanliness. It could have been a bath. One uh, pastor I listened to in the teaching said it was not uncommon to have a morning time of worship at the Nile to your false god. So he's going out to do this. And guess who's this right there? Moses. Verse 16, you shall say to him, the Lord your God, the Lord God, excuse me, the Hebrews has sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this, you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the, strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, over the pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout the land of Egypt, both in the buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died, the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. That's a big deal. Basically, any source of fresh water, be it in a bucket, be it in a pot, be it in the Nile, has now all been turned to blood. Turned to blood. And the fish are dying left and right. You're going to see this continued idea of this idea of the stink that kind of comes up. We'll get to that point in a second. Let's just talk about the practicality of this first. 
Fresh water, just completely gone. Nothing to drink. The Nile, this key source of the Egyptian commerce, is now blood. And and they had different gods for this. If you're interested in this type of stuff, they had a spirit of the Nile whose name was Hape. They had another one that was Kahum, that was a guardian of the Nile. They actually believed that Kahum was the one that created human bodies in the womb. So the Nile was their source of fertility. The Nile was their source of this idea of life. And here God has now turned their God of life into blood. And everything's dying. I remember growing up as a kid, we had this pond. And one summer, I, I don't know what happened. We lost every catfish that we had in the pond. They just all died. And I remember as a kid, I'm young, that's exciting for a boy. I went around and collected all of them, 30 plus. Now, that was kind of fun the first day. Second day, it started being a little bit different picture. You've ever been up to Lake Erie, and there's that dead fish on the beach. You can smell that from 10 yards away. Now, imagine an entire river, an entire river where everything in there just dies. That smell would be awful. Just imagine you having a bucket of water in your house for dishes, for whatever, and all of a sudden you go over and look, and this bucket is now a gallon of blood. This is disgusting. This is something that we can't really understand and fully grasp because we, we can't envision going down to the mall me and seeing the mall me all of a sudden turn to blood. This is miraculous. This is something that the Lord is doing to get their attention. It it knocks their gods back. It gets their attention. And they're doing it by, depending on your translation, enchantment, magic, secret arts. Like we said, we talked about that last week a little bit. God got their attention, right? So what do they do? Verse 22. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So what do the magicians do in verse 22? They do the same thing. Now, if you're taking notes, write down this word. It's called stupid, in case you didn't understand. They, they, they get a bit of fresh water, and what they're going to do is turn it to blood. How does that make any sense? I mean, seriously, how does that make any sense? I heard a pastor say this one time, and how is this for a deep thought? He goes, sin makes you stupid. I mean, that makes no sense. We're going to find out in the next plague, hey, there's now literally millions of frogs. Guess what the magicians do? Let's create more frogs. This is what sin does. Sin just makes us do things that are dumb. It just makes no sense in any way whatsoever. One of my favorite quotes is the definition of insanity. Doing the exact same thing again and again and again and expecting a different result. I don't know how many times I run into somebody in their spiritual walk. How are things going? Not good. Well, what's going on? Fill in the blank. They have allowed the sin into their life. They've gotten lazy in their time in the Word, lazy in prayer, lazy at church, whatever it is. And then things aren't going good. So guess what happens? They get back on track. Six months later, they're doing the exact same thing again. And they wonder why their life went right back down in the rut. I don't know how many times I've done marriage counseling with a couple. And I say, okay, for years now you've tried it your way. And your way has led to this. Why do you keep on communicating in the same patterns? Why do you keep on doing the same things? Or just as a personal individual, my life is not passionate about the Lord. Well, if you keep doing the same things again and again, what do you think is going to happen? Sin makes us stupid. So therefore they get fresh water and they turn it to blood. That doesn't make any sense. I told you about a friend I had that would call me 
usually every Saturday, right around noonish, hungover, told me how he was never going to go out and drink again. Next Saturday, he'd call me around noonish, hungover, told me how he's never going to go out and drink again. You see the pattern. Sin makes you stupid. You know what else sin does? Sin can never clean up a mess. It can only make a bigger mess. Sin never makes anything better. So they're going to turn more water into blood. That's not very smart, and that just creates a bigger mess. But that's what sin does. Think of the example of David and Bathsheba. What was the first sin that David did? He was lazy, the Bible says. See, a lot of times when we think of David and Bathsheba, we think of David's first sin was that he was lusting after Bathsheba. No, rewind the tape. The first sin of David was he was lazy. The Bible says that it was the time when kings go out to war. The time when kings go out to war. What was the king doing? It was the evening. And what does the Bible say David just got done doing? He just got up from a nap. So, what does that show you? Naps in the evening are sin. That's what the Bible is trying to say. No, it's showing a spiritual laziness in David's life. He's supposed to be out at the front of the battle leading his troops. Nah, I'm going to take a nap in the evening. So David is getting up from a nap, sees Bathsheba, wants Bathsheba, affair with Bathsheba, kills Bathsheba's husband, covered up. I mean, sin only makes the mess bigger. The first sin of David was lazy. It wasn't lust. It was lazy. Sin just makes things a bigger mess. So their great idea is let's turn more water to blood. That's the logic and thinking of the world. Verse 23, and Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. Pharaoh basically says, hey, nice trick. My guys can do it too. You ever notice that person that you really have a heart for to come to know Christ? If they turn around and go back into their house, it means their heart's not ready. I've shared with you before, for years out here, I spent my ministry chasing people down as they turned around and went back into their house. I've really learned that if they turned around to go back into their house, as Pharaoh did in verse 23, their heart, look at verse 23, neither was his heart moved by this. The whole river just became blood. Yeah, not impressed. So verse 24, all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river and seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Please note in verse 24, there's actually some grace in there. (laughs) We're not going to keep you from water. You can still go drink your water. There's some grace actually in there. But do you know what else sin makes you do? First thing, sin makes you stupid. Second one, sin can't clean up a mess. It can only make the mess bigger. Number three, verse 24, sin makes you work harder. Sin makes you cover tracks. Sin makes you think about what you're doing. Sin sin takes away joy. Sin takes away peace. See, when you're walking with Christ the way you're supposed to, the Bible says there's just this joy. There's just this peace. Here, what do they have to do? They're digging deep down to try to find water. And this goes on, verse 25, for seven days. doesn't make any sense. God, compared to the plagues that are coming, jumping ahead especially to the death of the firstborn, this is pretty low-key. Seven days of making you dig a little bit harder for water, seven days of this awful smell, seven days of this happening, that's nothing compared to what's coming. He's actually showing grace. So real quick, what happens with sin? 
Sin makes you do dumb things. Sin can't clean up a mess. It only can make it bigger. Sin makes you work harder. And the last point, very simply put, sin just really stinks. It really does. The Bible says in Isaiah 65, we're running out of time here, Isaiah 65, verse 5, if you want to write that down, basically God says, it's hard for me to be around you, Israel, because your sin has made you smell so awful. See, the Bible makes it clear that our prayers are like an aroma that go up to God. So when we allow sin into our life, it's like the Lord doesn't want to be around us because the smell is so awful. But as you know, with kids, with animals, with anything, when you're the one covered in that smell, you usually don't notice it yourself. When you're covered in sin, you really don't notice it because it's just normal for you. This is what I normally do. I'm normally just spiritually lazy, so I really don't notice anything. I normally watch things I shouldn't watch, so I really don't notice anything. And so what happens is when I get around other people, and I start seeing that other people are like, yeah, they don't do that. They don't watch that. They don't live in that. They don't let their eyes wander to that. Oh, they they are actually in the Word. They're talking about witnessing. See, what happens, that makes me feel uncomfortable. So what do I do, verse 23? I turn around and go back into my house because I don't want to deal with this. So really what you're going to see here at these plagues is a picture of God. First point, back to verse 5, showing the Egyptians who he is that will carry on for hundreds of years. It's freeing his children. It's showing his power over the little g, little gods. And it's also ultimately showing what sin does. Why would they make more blood? Why would they make more frogs? Well, why did Peter write in 2 Peter 2 just as the dog returns to the vomit. We have a tendency to jump back into old patterns and habits that are disgusting. They are spiritually gross, but that's what we do. And then we wonder why things never change. We add sin upon sin. I mean, seriously, if you were the spouse of these magicians, and it was the frog one coming up, and you went home and you're telling your wife, hey, this is what happened. Moses and Aaron showed up again. You know, remember the snake to the rod? Remember the blood? Well, they create. They brought frogs this time. So the wife says, what would you do? Well, we brought more frogs. I mean, if you were the wife, wouldn't you just slap your husband and say, what are you doing? Why are you making more frogs? So, so honey, you had a pot of fresh water and you turned it to blood? Bring the pot of fresh water home. See, sin... Sin, and I don't think we'll fully grasp the disgusting nature of sin until we get up to heaven and we see the nail-pierced hands of Christ. And we stop and realize, sin is disgusting. But down on this earth, we're so around it. It's on our internet, it's on our TV, it's with our co-workers, it's with us. And we don't realize the stench of sin. We've gotten used to it. Boy, the Lord is really just trying to tell us, look at your life, see what you're doing, and just take one step back. Look at how sin is dumb, how sin makes a bigger mess. Sin creates this stench, and sin makes you work harder for joy and peace than you could ever imagine. Never worth it. Absolutely never worth it. Anybody have any quick questions, comments here about this stuff before we... Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think 
Well, it goes back to one of two things. Is number one, it was either trickery, and that's what some people believe. Some people believe they were just kind of faking this type of stuff. That's idea number one. Number two, it would be that Satan himself does have power. Like I said, the Bible does make that clear. The Bible says that Satan can do things. He does have lying signs and lying wonders, the Bible says. So it's one of those two. They were either being the classic magicians of the day and doing trickery to make it look like it, or they were empowered by the enemy. And if you go look in the book of Revelation, especially Revelation chapter 13, when you look at the Antichrist and the false prophet... He literally empowers them to do signs and wonders. Second Thessalonians tells us that at the end times, the lying signs and wonders of Satan would be so powerful that it's possible that even the elect would be dissuaded by it. Matthew 24 talks about lying signs and wonders of the enemy. So it's either fake trickery that they were doing or they were empowered by the enemy to go out and actually do those things. As Satan is masquerades as an angel of light, he is powerful. And I encourage you, uh, if you didn't get a chance last week, go back and grab a copy of that because we got into more detail there. But good question, Haley, but it's either fake trickery or it was empowered by the enemy to do it. Anybody else have anything? Ryan. Right. 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 And, and that's the thing. is, And, and two parts to your two-parter there. Remember, as we mentioned last week, I encourage you, if you want a deeper study, as you go through these plagues, also think about what's going through Revelation. Because in the book of Revelation, God does strike the fresh water of the earth, too. And the book of Revelation talks about turning red like blood, etc. And I've heard the algae bloom thing before, too. That's what some people have thought about when it comes to, um, oh, uh, the book of Revelation. But once again, how would that happen in the pots, in the house? You know, I believe this is a supernatural thing. And, and I know Ryan, and Ryan's not implying anything about taking away the power of God. But one thing I've noticed, a lot of times when God does something amazing and miraculous, be it the crossing of the Red Sea, Jonah and the great fish, the plagues, there's always this segment of the church that tries to rationalize down a miracle. God turned all the water to blood. I mean, that's what happened. I heard one time, I heard a teaching about how crossing the Red Sea, that they found the shallow part because it was a dry area, and the Red Sea was only a couple foot deep, and that's how they were able to cross. Okay, that's fine, but that means all of the Egyptians drowned in two foot of water. I mean, that doesn't, you can't go back and forth. So like I said, I know Ryan is not trying to take away the power of God. I know he's not. But when we read stories like this, that's, uh, this is unbelievable. That's the definition of a miracle. No explanation but God. We throw the word miracle around too much in our society today. It was, you know, I was running late to work. It was a miracle that I didn't run into a whole bunch of red lights. That's not a miracle, okay? Miracle, no explanation but God. There's no way to understand the Nile turning to blood other than the Lord touched it himself. That's what the miraculous is. I heard a teaching years ago, and we're running late here on time, where a pastor said one time, save certain words that are only used for God. And one of those words was miracle. God only does. You don't have miraculous things in your life unless it's from the Lord. Remember that there. Anybody else got anything here before we close up?
All right, we only got one play again. Oh, sorry, Liz, go ahead. Maybe they dug down and got some. You know, maybe they had some with them at the time before it passed over the entire Egypt. Like I said, maybe they dug down and got some fresh water just to prove it themselves too. Which if they dug down to get fresh water, it just once again shows back to that, that first point we talked about how dumb sin is. Let me dig down 15, 20 foot to get to fresh water so I can just turn it to blood. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So, anybody else got anything here before we go on? All right, we weren't able to get to the frogs. Kind of disappointed about that because I was really looking forward to the frogs. So we got frogs coming up, we got lice coming up, we got flies coming up. You know, the first four plagues are really kind of, I can't think of a better word, forgive me. They're kind of fun. Um, once you get to the fifth plague, you start seeing the seriousness here of what God is trying to do. But as you also start seeing the seriousness of what God is trying to do, it also shows you the hardness of the hearts that we're dealing with. So next week we'll get into frogs, and uh, hopefully we can pick up the pace a little bit there because we can do frogs and lice, etc. But anybody got any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up with the word of prayer? All right, let's pray. Lord, as we just come to you now, help us to remember what sin does to us, Lord. And you died for that. You, you died so that could be taken away from us. Help us to never become complacent with it. Help us to never allow it to plant itself in our lives. And if there's someone here tonight where a sin has come in, maybe it's creeped in, creeped into their life, creeped into their marriage. In the name of Jesus, reveal that to them to take care of it. Lord, maybe there's someone here tonight that's just completely, utterly opened the door and said, come in. Lord, show them the dangers of this. Help us, Lord, to be a people that fearfully love you. And I think of what you said in Peter about how judgment begins at the house of God. Lord, not in fear, but just in the all of who you are. Help us to take a look at our lives and say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this in me. Help us go out and be lights and witnesses in all that we say and all that we do at work, at home, at school. And we love you, Lord. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. Don't forget, heart to heart Saturday. Hope you can make it out for that as well, too. You guys have a good week and God bless.